Chris Hewitt and welcome to the final chapter of our spoiler special podcast dedicated to The Mandalorian. Oh. This week we're going to be discussing the final episode of the first season. It is chapter 8, also known as Redemption. Written by John Favreau, Fav is returning to the writer's chair once again and directed by our good old chum Taika Waititi who also stars as IG-11 and what good timing to be talking about a Taika Waititi directed slab of Star Wars eh folks hey isn't it exciting hey <laughs> it's almost as if we planned this but we legitimately don't and join me to discuss this are three of my finest loose biker scouts of such lethal cunning no Jason Sudeikis or Adam Pally for us instead we have to make do with Dark Sabretooth a- yeah. A.K.A. Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Hello. It was the best I could come up with at short notice. It's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. It is pretty it. good. I have a lot of questions about that Darksaber thing mm. at the end. Um, I'm sure people listening to this would be going, you idiot. How do you not know what that is? Do you not watch the Clone Wars? I mean, you just interviewed Dave Filoni on your regular podcast. And I'd be like, no, I was bluffing. We're also joined by... Baby Yoda's new dad. No prizes for guessing who that name belongs to. It's Ben Travis. Hello. I can assure you that I would never, ever punch Baby Yoda. There was a lot of Baby Yoda punching, especially in the opening of this episode. It was it was hard to take, but um, I, I persevered and I'm glad I did. Yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about that in due course. And last but not least, we're joined by John Wickett. Hello, Chris. A.K.A. James Dyer. Uh, yes, this this one is in honour of the armourer, who I'm almost certain it's Keanu Reeves under the helmet. Surely should be Peter Serafinovitz. <laughs> I don't understand. Because <laughs> he armoured John Wick? Oh, I see what you're saying. But no, I'm saying she is John Wick. Okay. Because she's, she's got some game. Well, she's also the darkness, as we've discussed, from Supernatural, and therefore God's sister, and therefore pretty damn powerful. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. It does explain quite a lot. Uh, and I am Django Unchained, continuing my bounty hunter name's run. I know Django's a bit shit, but uh, frankly, I was running out of options. I couldn't make a good aura sing pun, and, I, and for that, I apologise. But anyway... Let's discuss the episode. A lot happens in this episode. Uh, Mando and his chums. The episode begins, of course, with a cold open in which two biker scouts punch the shit out of Baby Yoda and then get their tickets punched by IG-11, played, of course, by Taika Waititi. And then the episode is largely a siege episode. Mm. It's not quite a bottle episode, but it does involve Mando and his chums, Cara Dune and Grief Karga, uh, pinned down by the evil... I mean, it's, it's, it's not open to debate. He's pretty evil. The <laughs> evil Moff Gideon, played, of course, by Gus Fring. And, uh, and then they eventually make their way into the sewers uh, below Dave Navarro. And there they discover God's sister. And uh, then after the world's slowest lava chase, IG-11 sacrifices himself so that a grievously wounded Mando can make his way off planet with Baby Yoda in tow and start his new mission, which is and to that was seek the Empire out. Spoiler Special Podcast. So uh, thank <laughs> you. Dude, this is a synopsis, you bell end. This is what happens. And then, uh, and then his new mission, which is of course to seek out Yoda's Baby Yoda's species and mm. hand it back to him, which is arbitrarily handed to him halfway through this mission, this episode. But there we go. Anyway, so it's the way, Chris. It's the this, way. This is the way. Lots of revelations in this episode. Of course, we learn in a. Interestingly, offhand fashion, we learn the Mandalorian's real name, which is uh, Jeff Stevenson. We also get to see his face for the only time this season. And he, of course, is played by Pedro Pascal. And it is him under there, not not John Wayne's grandson or Latif Crowder 
or or the other guy Barry. <laughs> it's 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 Pedro pulling the duties in this one. Um, so what did we make of this episode overall before we get into specifics? I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. It took me about five minutes before I remembered this was the, was the Tyker episode because the way it opened, I was like, "This is what bantering sort of bike troopers." Um, had a sort of slightly different tone to it, but I thought overall it 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 tied up the season well. It had sort of big actiony stuff. It teed up the next season. It did exactly what it needed to do with sort of fun and flair and yeah i thought it was great i'm also in the very positive camp i have a couple of niggles that i'm sure we'll get to um things like at the very end where you've got um cara and grief basically saying so we are going to be buddies now and if you ever come (laughs) back we'll totally welcome you with open arms it was very (laughs) expositiony you know but um but generally speaking i thought it was a lot of fun uh, yes, I enjoy this an awful lot, and I like the tone, the tone shift in this, um, especially the beginning. I think it's what's interesting about this one is it's the first time I would say, even I mean, you could say Finn aside, but it's the first time we've seen stormtroopers, biker scouts are kind of stormtrooper, uh, humanized, and I really liked them bantering with each other and just being slightly like irritable, and it was like watching. Did you, did you ever see? Um, it was a fan video way, way back in the internet's infancy. Mm-hmm. There was one yeah. of the first. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Troops. Uh, which was the cops ripoff and it showed you you know the other side of what happened to the stormtroopers when they went to uncle owen and aunt brew's house and it's great and again it just made you realize like these stormtroopers are people you know and they're just as twatish as everyone else and i really really enjoyed these two bantering and being dicks and i like the riff on the fact that stormtroopers can't shoot straight i mean that was really fun as well <laughs> uh, and it was just the, the dialogue was really snappy and funny and it was really amusing and baby yoda biting his finger um it, yeah it, it really made me laugh and I also think, you know, it, I guess it's telling that this is a Tyker episode that uh, IG-11 really comes into his own in this one. I, I think <laughs> it, did, it did that Tyker thing of playing into not just general awkward humour, but the awkwardness of situations, seeing that you're getting information about what's unfolding over where the Mandalorian is, but you're hearing it through these two side characters who are sort of bored waiting to know when they're supposed to go in, mm. um, <laughs> while also... Yeah. sort of playing with baby Yoda and wanting to see him and all that stuff but it's yeah, just, it's it's just the thing like yeah, yeah Moff Gideon just killed a guy for interrupting so you might have to wait a while <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, just, it's just really funny that, I, I, I thought that was fantastic that I called <laughs> open I mean I do have some issues with like they have the thing that is most important to Moff Gideon like he, he makes it fairly clear a couple of times in this episode and the previous episode like they would surely be given the clearance to bring baby Yoda straight to him no? No, 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 no. Because this goes to the heart of the problem with the Empire, which is that its management style is simply untenable. Yeah. Um, the classic <laughs> Empire faffing around. <laughs> exactly. But it's also classic if you if your subordinates don't trust you not to vaporize them if you bring them bad news, then you're setting yourself up for a you know a problem where you don't get given the news in a timely fashion. Um, even when it's something important like, hey, we've got the thing you're looking for, we could all fuck off now. Um, no one's going to tell you that because you've made it clear you might shoot them if you don't like their tone. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All you, right. I'll buy that. Have you guys seen the deleted scenes for The Last Jedi where there's a scene that got cut, which is supposed to be the Daniel Craig scene where Finn is in a lift and he's dressed up as the officer and a couple of stormtroopers in New and Wizard Stormtrooper are like, hey, FN, whatever your name is. And so, oh, you got promoted. And it's really, and again, it, it felt like that to me, just really like sort of human aspect on the stormtrooper mm. sort of rank mm. and file. 
already I can see that, you know, because Taika directed this episode, we're going to ascribe everything good in this episode to Taika. <laughs> but Favs wrote the, our good friend Favs wrote the script yeah. as well. Mm. Uh, I wonder how much of that came from his screenplay. Because let's not forget the two guys playing these biker scout troopers are really good improvisers, really good comedians. Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally. Uh, working with Taika as well. And Favreau clearly on set as well, I'm guessing, with Dave Filoni. So mm. I wonder how much was, was organic and of the moment and how much was, was uh, on the page. I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's important to remember that even while we are humanizing these stormtroopers, they're also punching Baby Yoda, so they full-on ask to die, let's be honest, in, in narrative terms. <laughs> Completely. Um, oh, the th- there's no way they're punching. getting away clean. <laughs> Oh, they did it so many times. It was brutal. And whoever did this, the Foley effects for that, the sound of punching Baby Yoda is 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 a bleak, bleak sound. <laughs> it had a real oof to it. it was <laughs> James immediately starts downloading it for his uh, his message tone. <laughs> <laughs> Just to upset. Um, what do you think they used, Ben? The <laughs> do you think they were like hitting a melon? What do you think they were using? You know, well, they like weren't punching that $5 million puppet. So <laughs> there was no way they were going to damage that. Also, I'm sure... Uh, Werner Herzog would have popped up from nowhere and beat the absolute shit out of them if they harmed actual <laughs> Baby Yoda. Unhand him. Can I offer you a libation? <laughs> Amazing stuff. Um, but yes, I thought it was really, really funny. And of course, they get what is coming to them in the shape mm-hmm. of IG-11. Why didn't IG-11 intervene at the end of the last episode and Queel would still be alive? Honestly. He must be a bit slow off the mark, to be honest. He must be. But uh, so so they have Baby Yoda. Those two those stormtroopers get uh, taken out fairly quickly, uh, and then the episode is by and large a siege uh, with uh, Moff Gideon and his men, uh, not storming the citadel, so to speak, or the, the mm. safe house. Um, so what what do we make of uh, where the episode picks up with with Mando and Chums? So presumably they're not storming it immediately because they think Baby Yoda is in there. But they know he's not. Yeah, they know he's not. But do they? Because didn't they establish that last episode? That when they sent, when the bike troops went off after. Yeah, and like, isn't it like Herzog thinks he has it, and doesn't Gideon say something along the lines of, "I think you D- should jag." Like, yeah. You know, so I don't know what I. There's some strategic floundering going on here. So certainly. well, maybe let's be charitable and say maybe they're not sure because the bike troops pick up the transmission to. Uh, the sh- back to the Razor Crest, right? So maybe they're the only ones who picked it up and the guys in town were too busy pointing guns to listen? Maybe. maybe. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't make a lot of sense otherwise. But otherwise, I mean, they would storm the place earlier. I get that they're trying to put put together their big, big weapon, but they also have quite a lot of medium-sized weapons that would appear enough to do the job. Yeah, I love uh, I love Moff Gideon's massive monologuing about the specs of the gun. <laughs> it's just like, what are so you doing? That's the thing, mm. the introduction, the proper introduction that we get to him here. I can fully believe that he is just doing that siege for the drama because that seems oh, yeah. to be his whole vibe. He's extremely theatrical. I love that he sort of, um, he comes out, it, the, the sheer power play of him just being like, I know who you all are. I know all of your histories. Like we don't even have to physically see him do anything to go like, oh shit, this oh, guy shit. this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And he's, yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel like even that siege, he probably knows that he doesn't need to do it, but that's his thing. He goes around monologuing, uh, then brutally murdering people and then going to the next planet. He's he a messy a- bitch he lives for drama is that he basically does, he does. <laughs> whatever the sith version of that is no but i think genuinely maybe all of the sith live for drama because if you think about the sith that we know 
all of them live for drama. I'm just saying. And like <laughs> so, the number of cloaks in the empire suggests that they're really into drama. <laughs> Who else wears a cloak, for God's sake? He's uh, he's an ISB officer, it's mentioned, which is uh, Imperial Security Bureau. So he's secret police. He's so, Gestapo. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's, he's a torture interrogator type. So I think a little bit of theatricality kind of goes along with that, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just well, trying to yeah, figure out his like, plan, because if he knows they don't have Baby Yoda... What's he waiting for? Apart from, you know, he loves a monologue. But then, do they, does he, so he must think that Baby Yoda's on the way, which is, which is my inconsistency. Like, if they know that they have Baby Yoda, the two Bagger Scouts, and say, for example, bureaucracy, there's levels of incompetence in bureaucracy, so then they lose Baby Yoda, why does he still then not want to kill Mando? and chums maybe he doesn't know that they have baby yoda that's what i'm saying maybe it's unclear to him which party which which part of this group is actually holding baby yoda at the time but again then why would he open fire on a room in which he thinks baby because he's 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 firing at basically almost head height isn't he and i guess he maybe thinks that the baby yodas would be lower And then, I don't again, know. I'm trying to make later, it consistent. I'm just trying to figure this out because later in the episode, that that stormtrooper comes in, the flamethrower trooper comes in, mm-hmm. and basically just tries to flamethrow, you know, directly shoots a jet of flame straight at Baby Yoda, which is Moff Gideon's prized possession, and mm. only for Baby Yoda going full Baby Yoda, he'd be crispy fried Baby Yoda, and no. I don't think Moff Gideon would particularly like that. I don't know. I'm just wondering there might be some inconsistencies about. I think I think he doesn't. I think he knows that Baby Yoda is not in there, which is why he gives the order to have um, the client killed. It's a shame mm-hmm. we never found out his name. So he has he has Werner Herzog killed. Then those two storm the biker scouts fuck things up. So then Baby Yoda, they don't know where Baby Yoda is. They don't have eyes on IG Eleven. But it still doesn't answer the question of why he keeps Mando and Cara Dune and Grief Karga alive rather than just simply bringing out literally the big gun. Yeah, because you would think, like, if he was just, you know, guarding stormtrooper lives and not throwing, you know, being quite cautious of his troops, that wouldn't fit with literally anything else we know about him. So that can't be the really, the reason. It can be that he's afraid of losing people on the way in. Um, he seems to think he has them surrounded, and it takes him an awfully long time to realize that they might have escaped into the sewer. So it's not that he thinks that they might escape in the confusion, particularly. Um, so it's a bit weird. You're right. Okay, the plot doesn't make sense, but I mean, when has a Star Wars plot ever made sense? Come on. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. In- I, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe I've missed something really simple here. And uh, listen, we're going to get to some listener questions. But if you're listening to this and I've got it completely wrong and there's this very simple explanation for this, then do tweet me. D- DM me, tweet me, whatever. Tweet Helen, wh- whoever you want to tweet. Tweet us and then and then set us, set us straight about what Moff Gideon knew and when he knew it. Um, I think we have skipped over one thing. I'm surprised Ben hasn't mentioned this off the bat. It's we get the look of pure, unfettered joy on Baby Yoda's face as he's enjoying a spin around the uh, around the town on the speeder bike, just with his ears flapping in the wind. I think the thing I love is I think he's partly enjoying the speeder bike experience, but also I think he's really enjoying IG-11 killing the shit out of a bunch of stormtroopers. Like it cuts to his gleeful face after like several people have been murdered. It's great. He lives for that. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> is that the moment you referred to last week, Jimbo, when you said the Baby Yoda's greatest moment is yet to come? Or yes. were you talking about the, uh, no, the fire thing? No, it was definitely the flappy ears. 
Flappy ears. Yeah. <laughs> flappy ears is his greatest moment. Anyone uh, can he, stop fire, but flappy ears? That's come on. it. That's it. There's, um, there's a couple of uh, Rogue One references in this. Obviously, we've got the Death Troopers in there. And I like the fact that the Death Troopers have that incomprehensible comlink thing that they had in Rogue One where you just can't make out a word they're saying. Uh, but also, there's a reference Karajin mentions being stuck on a mi- um, in front of a, put under a mind flare, which I assume is like that big octopusy thing that uh, Riz Ahmed has to deal with in Rogue One. Uh, oh, which yeah. uh, Grief Cargo thinks is a myth, but clearly isn't because it's a big octopusy thing that was in Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Very, um, very good point. Which I thought was good. Um, what else? Did you? Do we like the big gunfight? The big ass gunfight? The gunfight when they all come out of the the little cantina and start shooting the shit out of everyone. Mm. That was yeah, uh, that, that was great. very Butch and Sundance for a moment, you know. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Mando st- striding out of there, kicking people, shooting people. That shot is in the trailer. I remember mm. seeing that shot in the trailer and going, "Oh, that looks good. That looks yeah. good." That and him picking up the massive sentry gun um, and using that was very, very cool. Yeah, Big. this episode yeah. gave um, gave a context to a lot of gifts I've been seeing recently. Huh. So that one, obviously, Baby Yoda, the flapping ears and the big smiley face on Baby Yoda. And I got seen it, but I didn't know the context surrounding it. So mm. th- this helped fill in some of the blanks for me. I thought the gunfight was really interesting because again, the whole episode plays on the fact that gun stormtroopers can't shoot for shit. Huh. You know, that's that's just the joke all the way through. I mean, he has a battalion of his finest troops and they can't hit three people one of whom is in the 70s i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy <laughs> but it was good to see grief Carga as well getting a bit more action because i feel like we we got a little glimpse of him uh in the big fight between the mandalorians and the other b- bounty hunters but not very much at all it was mostly standing there holding a gun on someone um so it was kind of cool to get him doing a little bit more and Kara doing a little bit more as well um to kind of establish all their action credentials a bit more firmly mm. I think it also explained why there were death troopers there because they were like we've got stormtroopers for pure numbers but if we actually want to kill somebody we're going to need a death trooper we're going to need the, the ones who are actually decent at doing their jobs which is why they had a few of those hanging around yeah this speaks to the idea the, the whole idea of humanizing stormtroopers at the beginning with the uh, with the banter uh, also maybe explains why they're such shit shots because if they've been conscripted and then put through training academy you know they, they'll have rudimentary skills but they won't be like sharpshooters they won't be mm. ace marksmen well and it's also like those um those old stories about how many soldiers actually fire their guns in wartime and it's not everybody at all it's not even close mm-hmm. so uh it, it kind of goes to that idea that maybe mm-hmm. they're all there and they're they may even pull the trigger and just not be hitting anything or firing in the air or whatever it also speaks to the idea that you know has been propagated by the likes of Unforgiven and Open Range and westerns over the over the years, the sort of modern western, more realistic westerns. That it's very hard to point a gun at someone, even if it is a blaster, and hit them. No matter if you if you're six feet away, you know most times you'll you'll do it. But you you can be your hands can be shaking, your aim can be off, your gun could be wrong, your gun can jam, all sorts of things. Uh, you know, it takes a lot to look a man in the eyes and shoot him in the face. Chris, this all sounds like excuses. I don't think Jack Reacher would put up with any of this. Yeah, this is true. Well, but actually, to be honest, Reacher would have had this whole show finished in about three episodes. Oh, he for sure. Just, he'd have ripped Ferner Herzog's head off. He'd have, he'd, have, he'd have killed Ferner Herzog and not for the first time either. <laughs> and then moved on. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about Moff Gideon. Because he's left alive at the end of the episode. Uh, which, And I have to say... Grief, Karga, and Cara June decided to stick around on Dave Navarro very damn quickly without checking that he was actually dead. Because I can't mm. help but feel he's going to cause some problems for him with his, for them with his big old dark saber. Don't you think? 
yeah. yeah it was surprising especially her having like that proper military background that you you go and confirm the kill you go you go and make sure he's dead he's not even crashed that far away it's probably about a 20 minute walk so yeah it was slightly strange that they uh that they didn't go and check out whether he'd actually died or not i thought moff gideon was a pretty interesting way to ramp up the end of the season and clearly they're setting him up for for more in the future i think it, it sort of would have been a shame having only just met him in this episode had him sort of menacingly monologue but then not do that much else mm. to like take him off the board straight away so i'm quite pleased they've kept him around i wonder if they can maybe give him a bit more to do in season two obviously he did also shoot mando in the back of the head so that was quite a big thing um but yeah it feels like he is a really promising character who hasn't done that much yet yeah this was this was all set up no payoff there's no question um i do think it's very bad that they didn't check his wreck not least because mando flies over it as he leaves, he, he sees it, presumably, or you would expect him to. And also the Jawas get there pretty quickly. So we're now to believe that the Jawas are better at cleaning up this stuff and uh, cleaning up loose ends than any of our heroes, uh, mm. which seems not to speak well of them. But at the same time, it's good that he's around for season two. And of course, a, a, a dark saber. I just saw that and was like, what the hell? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I must learn more. Oh, exciting. So, so tell us more about this. Uh, who who can tell us more about this? Uh, I can tell you more about this. So this is uh, this is the dark saber, was the lightsaber of Tar Vizsla, who was the first Mandalorian Jedi, um, and it's it's different to the others, obviously, because it's angled. It's got like a little pointy edge, and it's very thin. It has a thin uh, blade emitter on it, so it looks more like a sword blade than a normal lightsaber, which just looks like a glowing baton. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's one of these. It's, I, it has it features in Rebels. It's quite it has ceremonial value. I believe the leader of uh, of the Mandalorians, the Mandalore, uh, uses the dark saber as a kind of ceremonial thing. But uh, apparently, the Jedi Order had it when the bloke who made it died and kept it in the Jedi Temple. But it was stolen by Mandalorians of Clan Vizsla during the fall of the Old Republic. So. So okay. there's just one of them. It's not like you can go down to the lightsaber no. shop and you can just either pick one. a lightsaber there or is. you can pick a dark saber. There can be only one. Okay. So is this basically just like a stylistic thing, like Mace Windu's purple lightsaber, uh, and it doesn't necessarily do anything? It's purely cosmetic. This this really weird, funky look it has. Weirdly it, silent. Mm. I don't know if it is in Rebels because I haven't seen those ones, but uh, it, I know it doesn't make it a wah, 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 wah noise. A what noise? That was a very what? funky lightsaber. Wow, 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 wow. It's more the it's more the ceremonial importance, isn't yeah. it, that it has for the Mandalorians uh, for the like Mandalorians. It mm. It's basically a holy object for the Mandalorians. Indeed. Pretty much. All right. So, so Mando's is... going to be pissed that he's got it. Then Man- oh, he's going to be sure. if he finds out the Moff Gideon's got this, he's going to be raging. Well, I think he's going to be already raging because, isn't it? Uh, he talks about uh, was it uh, Gideon talks about how he was there for the Night of a Thousand Tears, which is uh, uh, a reference to the Siege of Mandalore, which is a not particularly subtle plug for the most recent series of The Clone Wars, uh, which features that particular event. But yeah, that was, that was, I think Gideon has a history of being a twat to the Mandalorians. <laughs> <laughs> That's canon, it says that on Wikipedia. Yes, Moff, Moff Twat was the, uh, the, working ty- the working name for the character. Uh, and then they changed it to Moff Gideon at the end. Uh, so he's, he's clearly going to be a, a big noise uh, mm. and, and mm. sticking around. Ooh. And did you... Fact, fact for you, the Darksaber was last seen in the hands of uh, Bo-Katan after it was given to her by Sabine Wren in, in Rebels. So there you go. But, uh, That's so where it was last. Reb- okay, so Rebels... 
Ten. Rebels is quite a while ago, I think, at this point, isn't it? Is it? It's before New Hope, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? I think so. Yeah. 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 The, the before, so, so this is this is quite a bit later. So uh, people who actually watch these shows are, are going, "You idiot!" But uh, <laughs> so the, the Clone Wars that kind of that's level with Revenge of the Sith. That's kind of where where mm-hmm. it ends in in, mm-hmm. in and around that. Um, and Rebels is a little bit further on than that, but yes. not much further on. Mm. Yeah. And James is right. The dark saber does have a higher pitched, different sound to other lightsabers. So canonically, Interesting. but he's not a Jedi. He's not a Sith. So what the fuck's he doing with a lightsaber? Give it back. He's a badass. Mm. Well, you don't have to be a Jedi or a Sith to yeah, wield the Finn saber, used do it. you? Yeah. No, I, I know that. Other you know, non-Jedi have used uh, lightsabers in Star Wars before, but yeah. uh, but they've only usually borrowed them from people. Cutting out like, tauntauns and stuff. Yeah, mm. they haven't gone around you know, with, with it as an accoutrement, but uh, but there you go. So it, it, the, the episode, and, and thus by extension, the season ends with Moff Gideon and the reveal of the Darksaber, um, which I imagine for people who don't know Clone Wars like me, it's just like, oh, that's a cool looking lightsaber. How, how the hell did he get that? And for Clone Wars and Rebels fans, they'll be going, oh my God, it's a Darksaber. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, but it ends with him, which obviously sets him up for you know being a big noise in season two. But beyond that, did you get a sense that this felt like a season finale? I, 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 if I'm honest, I didn't. It felt like just another episode. I think it well, did in that it cleared up that like they've, they've, killed loads of the bad people on that planet now if he wants to Mando can go back to being a bounty hunter again he's sorted out his beef with grief um, and <laughs> obviously grief has now hired Cara Dune to be another bounty hunter so that situation seems quite settled and I think mm-hmm. also the scene where the armorer says to him your baby Yoda's new daddy you can either train him up or take him home that felt like here is your imperative for the next part of the story so that this whole first part of the story of him and baby yoda finding each other and oh it's beautiful <laughs> um and having to fight to get out of the drama that that brings that yeah. chapter is closed and now it's on to he's got his mission he's either taking him home or he's training him up but there are still complications from this this bad horrible man mm. Yeah, he's basically, they've gone from being on the run to having an active mission. No, they're probably going to have someone chasing them on that mission, as we now know, because he survived. But it is a diff- that's a different sense. They have a purpose in trying to find where he belongs and put him back there. Um, Baby Yoda, that is. So, um, mm. so that, that's, a, that's a difference to anything we've seen before this season. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk in a second about what season two might be and what it might look like and obviously there were some revelations yesterday on Star Wars Day as well about future directors people who've already directed episodes of season 2 which is in the can so the likes of Peyton Reed and Robert Rodriguez which we can already add to Dave Filoni I think John Favreau directs an episode I'm I'm not entirely sure if that's been confirmed but I I don't know maybe I've just made that up but I think he may direct an episode in this one and Carl Weathers of course has directed an episode for season two as well. So the whole of that episode is him just going to Baby Yoda, come on, baby, do the magic hand thing. And then Baby Yoda <laughs> waving back at him. <laughs> that was adorable. That was adorable. Do the magic hand thing. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. Um, so what do we think about other things in this episode? The revelation of Din Djarin, that is his name, the the Mandalorian's name. He didn't seem that bothered about it being out there. Uh, maybe maybe he hasn't been that mysterious about it. Yeah, I don't think it's... Maybe that's not part of the code. Maybe that's not part of the creed, that he has to keep his name s- secret. 
um, or at least that he, you know, it's a it's a problem if it gets out there, um, because we've known the identity of other Mandalorians before, mm. right? So yeah. it, it doesn't seem yeah. like it's part of their code. And well, we learn a lot about him, don't we? We see the finally the sort of unredacted footage of what happened when he was a child, when his parents get mm. killed by battle droids, mm. uh, and you see the the Death Watch. Mandalorian is the one that comes and, and rescues him, which I think is relevant to Rebels as well. I particularly like that when the Mandalorian opens the sort of storm cellar and sees him down there, he arrives to the strains of an electric guitar solo because he is that metal. I, I read that down. It's like amazing. Full of wild stallions guitar is great. It's just brilliant. I really enjoyed that sequence. Um, this was easily the most metal Star Wars has been since Revenge of the Sith. Between that, between the armorer fight, uh, and between the literal yeah. river of lava, like it was, it was very metal. The, Star Wars. the lava. I mean, which is, yeah, it was on. just like guys, lava. Have we not learned lava doesn't work that way? No. What are you doing? It was really upsetting, actually. Just what it's like. No physics, people. Come on. I know we don't give it a lot of truck in this universe, but just a little bit. Oh, oh. God. Uh, anyway, yeah. but the but the but yeah the, the the Mandalorian stuff here was great, and also there were little callbacks to earlier episodes. You know, he said earlier that he kind of wanted one of the jetpacks, and now he gets his own jetpack. Yeah, a rising Yay. phoenix. The rising phoenix. It felt um, a and bit I like in the um, in the recent uh, Star Wars Battlefront game. If you play, I think it's something like twenty hours, and they finally give you a jetpack, and you can start zooming around. Felt like he'd unlocked a uh, an achievement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it did feel very video gamey uh, that bit at the end. A little bit. And then also the fact that the armorer survived was nice because I think you had that, you know, when the person stays behind like that and sends everybody else off and says, I'll buy you time, they 100% always die. So mm. it was kind of nice that it, it didn't actually just play that beat um, and that it had her be, you know, just as formidable as other Mandalorians. <laughs> I'll buy you time because they're going to murder anybody who comes down this tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to be absolutely fine. You don't have to worry about me. It was great. <laughs> I also like that she gives him his sigil. Like he, she gives him the mud horn. Uh, mm. sigil and uh, declares them a clan of two which is has a real lone wolf and cub vibe to it and i really like that and i kind of feel like that's the vibe maybe this is going to have going forward this kind of yeah. lone wolf and cub thing which is which would be great that was super cute i did worry because she was trying to kind of reclaim all of the armor from the dead mandalorians right um but at least one stormtrooper fell into her forge and i'm worried that that's just going to really mess up that whole batch there's going to be like a bright to- red blob of you know, Beskar armor they'd be like what I, happened I to that one there was a missing Wilhelm scream there that we needed when he gets <laughs> into that I'm, I'm very over Wilhelm scream I, I really am it's a great name for a character in a movie but uh, other than that no please it's a time for a moratorium finally on the Wilhelm scream I have a fact for you oh okay Cara Dune's full name is Cara Cynthia Dune mm-hmm. I mean that's something we hear in the episode and so, she's from Alderaan yeah. Uh, and yeah, did we know that she was from James, Alderaan? just can't simply repeat things from the episode and declare them to be facts. Sure I can. These are things we've learned. <laughs> I like that we learn her full name. I like that we learn that she's from Alderaan. And I like that that explains why she fucking hates the Imperials because they blew up her homeworld. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. I mean, it's do nice. It. I mean, she doesn't get a huge amount of background, but I quite like that that is, that is divulged. Yeah. She's always banging on about her chain code and how she doesn't want anyone to like scan it in because then it'll she'll be immediately going to prison or people will won't like what she's done. So what what has she done? That's so bad. If she's uh, if she's a rebel shock trooper, then surely any crimes she committed were against the Imperials. So therefore they would be overlooked. Am I right or am I wrong? So is she uh, basically mm. what I'm saying is has she done dark skeezy shit in her past that she doesn't want people to know about? 
Well, maybe the New Republic's control is not terribly solid on the outer rim, and she's worried anyway about the Imperials. Doesn't she mention when the episode we first see her that she's not on particularly good terms with the New Republic? I can't mm. remember why, but yes, I think she's done all kinds of shit. Were you surprised that she hung around at the end of the episode and stayed on Navarro and didn't go off with Mando? I can't call him Jin, Din Charan. I just can't. But, you know, Mando and, and Baby Yoda, because I know Helen doesn't think this, but the sexual chemistry between those two is palpable, and I think that there's you know there's real there's there's potential groundwork there. You thought you should go back to the the, the crustacean planet because all you need is krill. <laughs> yeah, she seems to be like wherever she, whichever planet she goes to at the end, she's like, yeah, "I'll stay here for a bit. This will do." Um, yeah, I'm, I wasn't too surprised that they left her on that planet because they they're clearly letting you know where she is when they want her to come back into the story. But also, it means they don't have to go into season two thinking she needs a plot. If we're following Mando and Baby Yoda and whatever they're doing, we're also going to have to find stuff for her to do. So it feels like they've done that in a way that they can just they can just pick her up when they need her. So I think I, I sort of could see the logic of them doing that. But it, yeah, I don't know why she didn't go back to the Krill planet. She had unlimited Krill. It seemed like a nice, quiet place to live. <laughs> Although I, I guess she now she's got a desert. job because of Moff Gideon. She's got actual work to do. Whereas she was beating people up in bars for money hmm. back in the uh, in Planet Krill. Yeah, this this way maybe she can get a bit richer uh, than she could on Krill World. Mm, so fair, that might be fair. enough. But she doesn't have to go back to Krill World. You know, she can, you know, she doesn't need the a The universe is her Krill. Krill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she can, she can stay with Mando and, you know, they can have beautiful Hamilton Bump babies. Helmets, yeah. Maybe that's mm. it. If they look on a chain code, she has no license to Krill and she's been eating Krill for solid <laughs> several months <laughs> to get locked up. Maybe that is it. Um, but in terms of, it's also it's also a very very good Mando episode. Not just because we learn his name, and I don't really get why there was a whole mystery about his name when it didn't have any plot relevance. But okay, that's that's fine. We'll, we'll push on beyond that. Uh, we do see his face, hmm. and was I the only one who was disappointed that he didn't have a tash? He did have a slight no. tash. He had a dusting um, of tash. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay without him having a tash. I like his face without a tash. He's, um, he's got a good tashy face though. Yeah, I did wonder if he should look that good, having lived his entire life under a mask. Like, shouldn't his, his skin should be, be paler, pale yeah. and wan like mine? He should look like Gollum. Yeah, right? I mean, he should he should be kind of weird and puffy looking. Um, so that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't 100% maybe realistic. Hey, maybe there's some kind of, like, device in the Mandalorian helmet mm. that allows, like, a healthy amount of of daylight yeah. through because you need vitamin D not in a euphemistic way what does yeah. 20 years of helmet hair look like I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't think he has the helmet on the whole time we've, no, we've he talked doesn't. about this no. so yeah. he must take it we off we saw him take it off to eat yeah bit of skincare, bit of Nivea <laughs> he's totally fine uh, and that's you know that's why he looks like Pedro Pascal. Maybe. Uh, so um, my, <laughs> we were preparing for the Denzel Washington ranking, which we recorded the other day, and you'll read in a future uh, issue of Empire Magazine. And uh, one of the films I revisited for this was The Equalizer Two, and my wife watched watched it, but she hadn't seen it before, and she was she was appalled, appalled at the shit that Mando gets up to in that film, and she is very keen to Baby Yoda knows what a what a rotter he really is that's, that's, that's all, that's all well, I mean wait till she sees Wonder Woman 1984 oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I also did think it was 
<laughs> that scene was perhaps not my favorite uh, when he is when he's wounded because he's basically like I'm done for leave me behind no 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 saving me and you know the way people give Steve Rogers grief for putting the plane in the ocean when there are many other options available <laughs> yeah. I mean he literally just needed a hypo spray like that's all he needed and he's back on his yeah. feet in five minutes could he not have asked everybody would you mind turning your back for a sec till I apply a spray to the back <laughs> of my head yeah it's it's that was madness. So it was, um, that was pure man flu or Mando flu. It was like <laughs> <laughs> I can't go on, Pop. I think I got the black lung. It's like God damn it, Din Jaren, you've only got a slight head wound. Talk to me when you, you've only been down here for thirty minutes. Talk to me when you've been here for thirty years. Uh, really, it was exactly yeah. that. That said, there was a moment where he was being so like absolutely adamant that he was definitely dying. I had a moment where I was like, "Are they going to have a different Mandalorian each season?" Uh, yeah, and and so there's always going to be somebody looking after Baby Yoda, but it's not necessarily going to be yeah. Jin ja- Jin Jardin. Jean de Chardin. Jean de Chardin. <laughs> Jean de Chardin is the Mandalorian. Um, there's weird, weirdly enough, like a part of that that flitted through my head as well. So I have a really weird relationship with spoilers in the Mandalorian for the for this season because you know I wrote the cover feature for this magazine, which necessitated knowing broad brushstrokes spoilers. So as we talked about back, way back in the first episode of our spoiler special, I knew that Baby Yoda survived and made it into season two. And I knew, because I spoke to Petro Pascal and he was filming season two, that he survived and was into season two. And I think I knew Cara Dune survived as well. But beyond that, I didn't really know much else. And I'd only seen the first four episodes. And so I've been discovering each episode as I go along. And despite all that I knew about that he had survived into season two, for a second there, I thought, oh, that's, that's an interesting wrinkle. Is it is it going to be a different Mandalorian? But uh, no, they've, they've decided to stick along with, stick with Jean de Chardin and, uh, and why the hell not, is what mm-hmm. I say. And finally, of course, he reconciles his, his problem with droids. And uh, he bonds with IG-11. He gets over that super quick. I know (laughs) IG-11 saves his life, but um, yeah, it's like five minutes later, he's like, oh, I'm so sad you have to die now. (laughs) uh, Yeah, he he gets over a lifetime of (laughs) anti-droid trauma um, very, very quickly. But I'm happy for him, you know? The less space racism, the better. Even if it's droidism. Spaceism, I think is what they call it up there. (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess um, I feel like in that moment as well, they had to make sure with the fact that Baby Yoda had had to force the flames away and the effort of that knocked him out, that was sort of lining up. Then it had to be IG-11 mm. to save Mando because now that they've introduced the fact that Baby Yoda can force heal, I feel like that's something they're going to have to maybe work around a bit in, in the series going forward mm. that like whenever Mando's in trouble, Baby Yoda can just magic the uh, the death away wave the magic um, hand wave the magic hand baby Yoda do your magic hands um, so yeah I, I get, it's sort of all dovetailed quite neatly the fact that then it had to be IG-11 to save mm. him and that he's a nurse droid now and then that Mando sort of feeling better about droids but then I would have been immediately freaked out to go down to the, the lava boat when there was the R2 droid that then suddenly had massive legs there was something <laughs> about that that just felt really, 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 really wrong really, wasn't it? yeah that was really deeply wrong yeah <laughs> What also, happened with the, that droid? Did uh, did Mando accidentally shoot his head off, or or Cara, the Cara, Cara took his Cara head Jean. off, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it still just you know rode on, a pulled on, I guess, because it's more of a punt. Yeah, um, so a massive punt. 
It is a massive punt. Yeah, yeah massive punt. Someone said that uh, this is make the man- Mando the Gondolorian. Huh. Oh, <laughs> that's, funny. that's good. That is good. Yeah. It's all a bit um, River Sticks, isn't it? And uh, you know, it's a bo- all a bit meta- metaphorical when you start getting into an underground river with a ferryman and a barge, and you're trying to get across. I don't know. It felt very um, mm. way metaphorical. Venetian. Venetian also, sure. I don't know, though. It was. I just had so many problems with the physics as soon as they got that. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't have problems with physics yeah. in Star Wars, Helen. I we, know, otherwise, we're going to be here all day. I know. Star Wars is as Star Wars does. Don't Neil deGrasse Tyson this. You're, you're better than that. <laughs> Honestly. Thank you. Um, what, do we, what do we think of... Uh, yes, that's a compliment. It's good. Uh, yeah. So what do we think? I really liked the first half of this episode we, you know, with the, the, the tension of the siege and the, the great cold open and the shootout, which was a lot of fun as well. Uh, and I felt it lost a bit of momentum once they got below because the Imperial mm. Pursuit is, an, is a bit half hearted and a bit, you know, the imps are a bit limp in this episode. And that, you know, they, they give Mando and his, his, his cronies just enough time to like complete all their personal, <laughs> you know, all their personal personal stuff you yeah. know just enough time to have a long chat with the armor before they attack and then and I, I, I almost feel this was deliberate that you know there there is no tension to be derived from having your principal heroes on a very very slow moving lava boat <laughs> i mean did I we say. learn nothing from speed too <laughs> yeah it is literally that isn't it <laughs> we're moving towards something very slowly <laughs> we could all just jump off and swim <laughs> uh, not in the lava though uh, yeah it, it, no that would be bad it, it, i mean the stormtroopers seem to be quite cocky don't they? they're like yep we've got this pegged we're sitting here we're gonna wait for him it's all good um, presumably there's only one way out of the lava sewers, which seems like a very odd choice for plumbing, if you ask me. But mm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be efficient. It there wouldn't be any smells. You know, when things go in there, they're not coming no. back out. So there's that, I guess. This is Although, true. wouldn't lava potentially smell? Wouldn't there be like sulfur and stuff? So it could actually be worse than the smell. Of- anyway, I'm getting into physics again. Let's not do that. Um, <laughs> Don't do that. But IG-11's gone, right? He's He's gone. Yeah. yeah. I, I, li- he's yeah. I like the fact that time. not only do they punt through through molten lava but clearly this is a pastime that's popular enough that there's a fucking barge just sitting there waiting for its next set of customers to go punting through the lava it seems a very it's a small odd world place after to all. just have this boat <laughs> just there <laughs> I don't think it's a recreational thing I no. think they were, it was probably some sort of mining thing mm. but what I'm are guessing. they mining never mind lava yes <laughs> is that what, how that works okay. liquid magma <laughs> Thanks it was so a very, uh, very sort of T two moment when uh, when IG stepped into the lava. Yeah. I half expected him to have. I, I forgot he had. He didn't have Still thumbs. Have thumbs otherwise, yeah. it would have been pointing up. Cannot um, terminate. <laughs> you must lower me into this deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just a couple of last things before we take some take some questions. Uh, then, so the armor in that conversation she has with uh, Mando and Chums uh, talks about the Jedi and Space wizards. They're all. Yeah, and they're all kind of like, what? What's that? Mm. No, it hasn't been that long. It really, has since. actually been a while, if you think about it, because the Jedi were essentially wiped out by Order 66. And I think the fact that Luke is a Jedi is probably not a big thing. Do you mean, I wonder whether on the outer mm. rim it's that big. Like, they, they're probably peripherally aware that the Empire's... I mean, they know the Empire's fallen, but they're probably vaguely aware, like, who are these people involved? What were they? I wonder. Yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah. me. But you, you'd think that... I guess, like, if you go back to... So it would have been... 
So this takes place then. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe if you think about when the, it's only been about a few decades, few decades since 20, the Republic yeah. fell. A few 20, decades ago. <laughs> 20, what, 23, 24 yeah, years? A few like decades ago. Uh, so actually that isn't that long a time for an entire, there was the Jedi Council were at the heart of the Republic. So you'd think. Yeah, but where are they like? known about like to a great degree like is it one of those things that you don't pay attention to but like sage like did any of us know about sage <laughs> before like a month ago and suddenly like oh yes that's the scientific advisory council for the uk government everybody knows I that think you're talking about like the no we didn't i think we're talking about the herb <laughs> <laughs> so that maybe saying. proves your point uh, i don't know like, but you also didn't know the herb right no but isn't it, it feels like like you know certainly in phantom menace it's like you know they're like the a team aren't they like when the Republic wants some shit getting done, they send in a couple of Jedi, mm. you know, so they were, and what does that, oh, you think it's some kind of Jedi, you know, so it's, it's clearly like and people course, know who they are. But then the Mandalorian, but maybe it's these specific people, like the Mandalorians were literally at war with the Jedi, so they wouldn't necessarily be running around so you're saying telling what, the tales like of their greatness. Amish. They completely well, no, but maybe they're off. like, Maybe they're just like Jedi deniers. They're like, no, fuck those <laughs> yeah, guys. Truthers. We don't talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mandalorian is Star Wars truthers. I don't believe in Jedi. Mm. Space wizards, bollocks. <laughs> no match for a good blaster by your side, you know? That's true. Let's have some questions, shall we? Sure. Uh, first question comes, we've got a lot of questions. Uh, at William Garnet asks, my Mandalorian question regards Moff Gideon's plan for Baby Yoda. Hmm. What do you think of the theory that Gideon is trying to become a Force user and wants to somehow harvest Force powers from our little sweet green child? I mean, sure, that's probably better thought through sure. than the actual plot of the episode. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, his yeah, whole master plan at this him. point seems to be he quite fancied standing outside of a bar for no particular reason. So th that makes more sense. Sure. I, I think it makes sense. It could fit in nicely with the fact that he has the Darksaber, that he's trying to collect all these things that could make him more powerful. We know he's a messy oh, bitch, he lives with the drama. Um, so if he actually had <laughs> force powers as well, he could be, uh, could be a pretty nice I really messy hope. One. I really hope that's not the plot, because that's rubbish. <laughs> also, though, if that meant that they have to like take Baby Yoda's force powers away or like kill him in the process, I'm not down for that at all. Not into that. So, do we think that Yoda's species is particularly Force-sensitive? I know we discussed in a previous episode mm. the theory that they might somehow be the Force-made flesh, which I think is bullshit, but, you know... Not, not the Force-made flesh, but that, like, they were the original Jedi. Like, that they, that, like, the Jedi are named after their species, in the same way that there is a species called the Sith. Yeah. They have that They are the species the called the Jedi. All right, so so the, so the okay, so the species is called Jedi. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I can kind of I can kind of get on board with that because the ones we do know, Yoda and Yaddle, and then this, this little fella, um, are pretty formidable. You know. Yeah. For their and, size. Chris, what you were saying a few weeks ago that like Favs and Filoni especially worship at the altar of Lucas. Do you think they would ever bring? midichlorians back into the to the mythology in in this do you think they'd ever ben, reference that midichlorians never went away they're they in you never... they're in me <laughs> they're not in the sequel trilogy <laughs> never mentioned but they surround Sacked us and off. bind us ben yeah but not even mass yoda has a midichlorian count that high <laughs> that was meant to be obi-wan <laughs> speed it up speed it up obi-wan you're right about one thing master negotiations were short 
<laughs> Maybe next time we should watch Phantom Menace on 1.5 speed. I literally watched Phantom Menace again last night and it struck me when he said that. It's like literally the worst zinger of all time. It's like the limpest, oh, lamest zinger. Yes, it's worth, right, he looks so proud of himself when he, he drops it. He looks so short pleased <laughs> with that shit joke. <laughs> He doesn't even get a, doesn't even a chuckle out of Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon's no, like, he's a doubt. Anakin, what have I told you about humour? <laughs> I guess many planets do have a north. Yeah. yeah, there'll be no more of that around me, young man. Right. Um, my my theory about Baby Yoda is what I said last week, that I think he's being used as a weapon and that he can tilt either way. You know, that he's still, he's pure. He's an uncorrupted vessel of force abilities. And uh, and as we saw last week, he'll fuck you up if you get in the way of, of Mando. Uh, he tried to force choke Cara Dune. And I think, you know, he may have the potential to be pushed and just pushed to the dark side and used as a pure weapon rather than maybe harvesting force powers. I don't even know how you would do that unless you had a bit of chlorian transfusion. Wait a minute. Have I just hit upon it? <laughs> is that what it is? God, let's hope not. If this is where bringing in George Lucas's uh, trilogy plans, you know the, the the wills and all that, then I'm absolutely buying up for that. Oh, our old chum King at King Olinaramus is back again. How did the Empire kill all those Mandalorians if they can't shoot straight? Huh. But then didn't Shooting they, use, they use that special special weapon that cooks them in their armor, as I recall? Ew. Yeah, I, I'm not sure mean. that's in Rebels, but something about the fall of Mandalore or something is that there's a there's a weapon developed that cooks them in their armor. Melting. Wow, like Batman Begins. A little bit. Which was a shit yep. weapon, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeedly, bidly. Um What was the question? What was? Have we answered that? How do they, how do they defeat Mandalore if they can't shoot straight? Yeah, I mean, the other it's, option it's, they also is have, they could just shoot lots. Yeah, and they have planet killing weapons. Let's not forget that. Yeah, this is true. And even that thing they bring in at the end, you know, the Gatling gun, essentially. Um, Which they don't you know, guard. Pretty, <laughs> they let Mando pretty, take. Pretty formidable. And yeah. w- whatever gun Moff Gideon has as well, like it's him dinging uh, Mando in the back of the head that gives him that really bad wound, isn't it? Even before he blows him up. No, I don't think it's... So, I, don't think, I think no, the ding in the head not. just gets his no. attention. Uh, I yeah. think the thing oh, is that, okay. that, that Moff Gideon gives zero fucks. Like he walks out, Mando shoot him with a gun and he's just like... Psh! Shoots them back in the head, gets his mm. attention, and then shoots the power back, and boom! That was very video gamey as yeah. well. Shoot the barrels, don't the red shoot the barrel. enemies. Shoot the, shoot red the barrel. barrels. <laughs> uh, all right, here's another question from at James Monkton on Twitter, uh, and this is something I've been saying pretty much every single episode. Should we be concerned for the overall fate of the child, given there is no hint of a force-sensitive teenage Yoda during the sequel? Well, he'd be in his sixties by the time of the sequel trilogy, surely. Uh, but I can imagine Kylo Ren or Snoke slash Palps might have sensed his existence somehow. This is what I've been saying since the first episode. Baby Yoda, clearly someone sits on him. That's clearly no, what happens. No, no. On behalf of Ben, I think, I, I like to think as well as myself, I refuse this interpretation entirely. Uh, I choose instead to believe that something else happens and he's just busy throughout the entire sequel trilogy doing very important things at the other end of the galaxy it's not he's, his fault he's a he's so powerful that he can cloak himself and no one knows that he exists mm. and he's having a fun time eating frogs for the rest of his life <laughs> 
oh, I might have the reveal in the uh, Rise of Skywalker was that Baby Yoda was behind it all. <laughs> and it wasn't. It wasn't Palpatine, you know. So then we wouldn't have to have Oscar Isaac sigh and look, you know, look just horrified. <sighs> Somehow, Palpatine has returned. He's looking at his sides yes. when he says it. He's like, "Fucking hell!" I'm. Believe me, guys, I'm as shocked as you are. Uh, I guess. It's, <laughs> I guess it's come to this then, has it? Okay, right. They didn't tell me this when I signed on three movies. Anyway, <laughs> at Chris99Criddle asks, what do you think of the direction? And in fact, a lot of people have asked this. What do you think of the direction they're taking the series towards next season? Where do you think they're going for? Searching for their heritage of Baby Yoda. Should they really go into that when it's never been established what they are or where they come from? On the other hand, it'll piss off George Lucas, which could be fun. How dare you, sir? How, How fucking dare, dare you? George I, Lucas, you bow down. You bow down in front of him right now, and you apologize to George Lucas. Sorry. I like this as a direction for season hmm. two. I think because it still gives them... It, it's not going to be an easy answer where Baby Yoda comes from. It's going to be its own sort of quest, which gives them a lot of room for sort of yeah. fun adventures along the way, but it gives it a very clear narrative driving mm. force of something that we're aiming for it gives you landmarks in the story to, to get to while also giving you complete freedom that they're just traveling around trying to find out what to do with this thing or where it comes from um so i think it's a really smart choice to it's, it's enough structure um without penning them into sort of anything too concrete mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that hey maybe we'll, we'll see yaddle again somehow did she get killed in order 66 did we see that i think we see it oh, almost certainly it's implied yeah yeah, I mean yeah. it's implied, but I don't, if we haven't technically yeah. seen it, someone someone sits on her. It's, oh my god, you're obsessed with this. <laughs> I just think you have a, you have creatures this small and delicate. Some of them are going to be killed in unfortunate. Who says accidents. delicate? Just, Who baby says only got delicate? punched like six times in the head and was fined. Mm. Yeah, it was in a bag. Still it was in a bag. I mean, it wasn't an armored bag. bag Chris. It was a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it I think like we should make bag. sure we need to make sure Chris never gets a dog yeah. because he's going to sit on it straight away <laughs> I am absolutely not that dog is precious to me that was precious to me anyway <laughs> I love that dog so it was in a bag it should have been safe <laughs> I know but I smacked it against a wall a long story oh. anyway oh Chris no, it's a joke I'll cut it we're out gonna get, we're going to get letters <laughs> it's totally fine at misc underscore Annie Natalie on Twitter at misc underscore Annie asks what did you guys think of the super short actually you know what we haven't really properly answered that question um, yes let's go back to the question of, of season 2 like what do you think mm. season 2 is going to be beyond beyond basically searching well, for Baby they, Yoda they, they... we know we know there are new directors we know that there are new cast members Michael Bean and potentially Ahsoka Tano potentially played by Rosario Dawson. They haven't mm. officially confirmed that yet, but it seems to be going in that direction. Um, so what do you think? It feels like they've they've done that thing where they've set up a larger sort of quite loose storyline where I'll tied off all the immediate stuff, which leaves them open to have a fair bit of titting about, which they've enjoyed doing quite a bit in this season. So I think we'll probably get a few, you know, planet slash adventure of the week type things. Because uh, I think this format that they're now on, which is randomly roaming mm. the galaxy looking for Yodas, uh, probably allows that quite easily. Yeah, I think there'll be a bit of, uh, absolutely, a bit of planet hopping, asking questions of people who direct them to the next planet and the next. At some point, I think they'll go to Dagobah because that's where one of Yoda's species was seen not so many million years ago. That will be cool if that happens. I'm I'm very, very up for that. Um, But apart from that, I think it is just going to be, they're on this quest, they're being chased by this very bad man and um, things are probably going to come to a head with him at some point. See, if they go to Dagobah, you've got to think Yoda's Force Ghost is going to make an appearance, don't you? 
Oh, hello. Oh. Oh. Is that oh, how force ghosts work, though? Yeah, I think so. I mean, He's he turned up his on... Mud hole. Yeah, but he turned up on... Uh, where you call Not it? in, uh, I am, though. Leave message after tone, you will. Yes. Are we going to have to start calling him Adult Yoda now, just to make it clear? No, no, he's still Yoda. Old Man Yoda. Mm, that works. Why don't we just go for Dead Yoda? That's, that's much no. more accurate. Ex Yoda. No. Deader. One with the Force Yoda. That's far too difficult to say. Dead Yoda, it is. It is official from this point on. Baby Yoda and Dead Yoda teaming up like a cop movie. That'd be brilliant. Well, look, as somebody pointed out today, um, the, the existence of a baby Yoda implies the existence of a scary Yoda, a posh Yoda, a uh, ginger Yoda, and a sporty Yoda. So maybe... Ginger Yoda is Yaddle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so maybe original Yoda is scary Yoda because he's now a ghost. It also implies the oh presence God. of Yodas that fuck, I'm just saying. <laughs> what? what? Where do you think baby Yodas come from, Chris? Oh, oh right. No. Dropped off by Minox in little bundles. <laughs> You don't know they could be asexual reproducers. No, we've already established that Wheel was very clear that he looked evolved and he basically did the finger through the evolved motion when he it was implied. Evolved is not the same. Yeah. Quill was like fucks. fucks. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and that's why he had to die. <laughs> do you think do you think the uh do you think the Yoda species favourite sexual position is a ninety six? <laughs> that's not no, just that's no. They, that would they, be back to back. They get everything wrong. Uh, oh, hang on, Ben. Ben with an extreme knowledge of the Kama Sutra here. <laughs> extreme knowledge. Extreme like knowledge. Like, position ninety six, guys. That's back to back. I mean, that wouldn't even make any sense. I mean, uh, execute position ninety six. <laughs> it's quite painful. <laughs> oh my word. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's move on swiftly from from that uh let's take another question from uh, natalie at misc underscore annie what did you guys think of the super short episodes did you think it hindered or streamlined the story I'm i loved it. For it i thought it would yeah 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 i, I just I, like the the problem and the opportunity of the kind of streaming format has been you can go for as as long as you want to with these with both the, the number of episodes in the show and with the length of the episodes and sometimes that can lead to a bit of self-indulgence and you get these episodes that are like an hour and a half long and sometimes it's worth it and it's amazing and sometimes it's really really super not but i think the mandalorian has been actually very disciplined in a, quite a short season and quite short episodes when there isn't that much story there to tell. They just come in, they tell you a little sort of almost standalone tale and boom, they're out again, um, which I think is is good. Self-restraint in storytelling is a good thing. And I think the way that they've set it up, as we've spoken about quite a few times over these episodes, of um, it's, it's just an A plot. There is no B plot. Mm. You don't cut to something else. I think having 35 minutes of A plot is as much as you need, is almost as much as you can digest in one go. And when you have these slightly longer episodes, like this week's was probably one of the longest of the season. It was, I think it was, because mm-hmm. the credits on these are really long. It's at least five minutes of credits. Um, so I think this episode was maybe about just about 45 minutes between 40 and 45 minutes and i agree with chris that it did drag a little bit when they got into the sort of sewers so um i think they've found a really nice sweet spot of anywhere between half an hour and 40 minutes just works really nicely it gives them all the time to tell the story they want to tell with no titting about every scene has purpose um i think it's been great it's, it's like helen alluded to it's, it's sort of the they found the the form that fits 
this release method. They can mm. do whatever they want, and I'm glad they've gone condensed rather than going over long. Yeah, I agree with you. I, mean, I, I agree with you, me, because you agree with me. Um, that's, uh, I just thought that it ran out of steam a little bit, and maybe that's a deliberate thing. Maybe that's part of you know Taika's approach to trying to undercut things and to blend tones together. But you know, the episode should have been building and building and building towards a crescendo of of, of tension, and instead you had four people stuck on a very very slow moving barge, um, which was, you know fine in terms of the character interplay was 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 totally fine but uh in terms of cranking up the uh the old squeaky bums not so much anyway uh that next question uh that comment leads us neatly into the next question which is at roscoe keniston uh was curious for your take on taika's approach to the finale and what it might tell us regarding what to expect from his star wars movie which of course was announced yesterday Mm. i'm excited for that just because i don't know what it it really tells us to expect. I mean, I think we have some views about Taika films and what tends to happen in them, that there tends to be an, uh, an element of irreverence and and potentially poking fun at the conventions of the genre that he's he's playing with. But I think also his films have a surprising amount of heart some of the time and, and you know, something like his best movie, Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, there's, a, there's quite a lot of heart there. There's quite a lot of heart, weirdly, in what we do in The Shadows, and I don't just mean for dinner. His best movie. Well, his second best. Um, oh, oh, no, hang on. No, Hunt for the Wild People is definitely best. And then it's a tie between Thor Ragnarok and what we do in the shadows because I refuse to choose. Um, but yeah, I but that think means, you know, that you means can, Boy isn't in the top three. That feels it, wrong. Ben, that's not helpful. No, that isn't in the top <laughs> three, though. That is, that is definitely below all of those, as much as I love it. So, but yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's really gifted and I think he'll make it work with the material like what he did for Thor Ragnarok is not going to be what he does for Star Wars because that wouldn't fit so uh so yeah I'm looking forward to it I think he'll get a little bit of the the kind of irreverence that Harrison Ford tried to introduce I think that's going to be a little bit more prevalent in his characters maybe than in anything in say the prequels and much of the sequels Uh, so that could be quite fun I thought this episode had like enough tykeriness, but it also didn't overdo it. I, I I really enjoy his sensibilities, and I think it worked with something like Thor Ragnarok, where they could. The whole point was it it was crazy and over the top, and it was splashy and colourful. I feel like that same approach doesn't necessarily work for Star Wars, mm. but I felt like you got a glimpse here, with, like with the opening scene of this episode with the uh, with the two bike troopers, um, of what. It is to bring his humor into the world without undermining what Star Wars is, and the sort of the part of the thing with Star Wars is that you can't unpick the world too much because it will unravel. You just mm. have to take the world as is. So it makes me excited at the thought of what that could be. I I did really like uh, one of my problems with Thor Ragnarok is that some of the green screeny compositing. That, that goes on there I find that really distracting even in like the action sequences and stuff and even just the technological shift to the the way that they made the Mandalorian with the massive screens and that they sort of film it in studio but make it look like it's on location I didn't have any of those issues with this episode that I have with certain bits of Thor Ragnarok where I'm like I just fundamentally am disconnecting from from the world that we're seeing on screen so um, I'd hope that he'd maybe take that approach going forward with the with the big sort of screeny things has that got an official name 
<laughs> no, they just called it the big screeny thing. The big screeny things. So yeah, I, I, it was great seeing him work with that technology. And I feel like also you were watching this episode going like him doing Thor Ragnarok was his first time stepping into that blockbuster arena and now he is very familiar with that world and having the experience to to take into other productions of, of that scale Jimbo uh no I'm 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 excited to see what he does with it like I say I'm, I enjoy I enjoy Taika's sensibilities and as Helen was saying you know I think we'll probably see him maybe maybe a slightly more restrained subtle Mm. Tyker, if only because uh, Kathy Kennedy's track record does not in any way imply that she is <laughs> open to people going berserk and putting their own stamp on Star Wars. I think Star Wars is its thing. But then, you never know, maybe, you know, now post Skywalker saga, she's more open to that. Uh, so, you know, maybe he will, maybe we'll see Korg turning up with a lightsaber. I'd like that. And Meek with, uh, with you know, lightsabers for fingers. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yes, I'm very excited to see this. And also, I like the idea. Like one of the things I love last uh, Last Jedi for is it wasn't afraid to be its own thing, to go in its own direction and be something new, uh, unlike other films we could mention. You know, and I and I think this could be that. It, this could be again. It could be a sort of a bold new era for Star Wars. It could be going in a new direction, sort of forging its own path. And I think that's that's you know that is encouraging. All right, a couple of last questions. One at Mike Boy asks, why did IG-11 think protecting a child would be best served by driving in the middle of the firefight rather than heading back to the <laughs> ship? That's fair. I mean, maybe it's some of his battle droidness kind of, or his murder droidness coming through the nurse training. What do you think? Yeah, I think that. I think he's absolutely ragingly pissed off that they would try and hurt the child and perhaps there's a disconnect there. And also he's very confident of protecting the child. You know, mm. he's got mad skills. Yeah, if he goes back to the ship, what does the episode become really? And, uh, and maybe, and maybe that's why Moff Gideon gets a little bit confused about where Baby Yoda is, and maybe, maybe he keeps Mando and the crew alive because they're his best bet of communicating with Baby Yoda. He's he knows a lot about them, so he knows mm. that they're all in cahoots. So therefore, he must know that Mando and Baby Yoda have bonded. So therefore, he's trying to keep Mando alive to be the conduit between himself and baby Yoda? Sure, I'll buy it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> All right. maybe IG uh, believes that the, the safest place for baby Yoda to be is, is with, um, with Mando and with Kara with extra firepower around him. So maybe it is part of his sort of drive to protect is to bring him to the people who can protect him best. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that work? Does okay. that check out as logic? It, it works. It works. Yeah. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's fine. Um, uh, the person who made the Gondolorian joke was at Cantona's Ghost. So shout out to at Cantona's Ghost. Uh, and then these aren't really questions necessarily, but uh, two people have written in to say that they, they think one person, in fact, has said that the scene with the two biker scouts at the beginning is the best scene in the whole of Star Wars. And another person said it's the best scene in the whole of the Mandalorian. It's a very good scene. It is neither of those things, but it's a very good scene. It's fun yeah, and it's I'm funny, but it's not... I think it's it's sort of part of the fun of it is that it's quite throwaway, in a sense. Like, mm. that's part of the mm. the joy of that scene is that it's a sort of an aside, it's a throwaway thing. I, I wouldn't have it as my moment of the season, but it's, it is fun. And I feel like it's one of the times that we really see the voice of a director come through on this show. Like... A very specific arterial voice um, compared to some of the other episodes which have a real amount of like style to them but 
there was something about this episode like i said it took me a few minutes to remember that it was taika but then when i did it was like oh that's why this scene feels the way that Mm. it does okay so this is it this is the season this is the last episode the season is done uh jimbo thoughts on the season overall who was your mvp Oh, Baby Yoda, obviously. Uh, but uh, yes, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I thought it was very, very good. I liked the tone of it. I liked that it was something different. I liked that it was westerny and fun. It had a sense of humour. It didn't take itself too seriously. It took us to interesting, unexpected places. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was it was a delight, actually. I thought it was great. And I think, you know, it's this, if anything, like the announcement of Taika to do to do a film the existence of the Mandalorian makes gives me confidence that that will be something new and interesting mm. and not something you know dull and tedious so that's uh, that's good <laughs> that's good yes. uh, so yeah yeah I, I, I liked it this is indeed the way <laughs> this is true uh, Helen what did you think of the season and who was your MVP um Oh, I don't know. Okay, so I loved the season and I felt like it was exactly what I wanted Star Wars to do, which is do something that feels Star Warsy, but also that we haven't seen a million times before. I'm just really, really glad it didn't turn into Boba Fett, the movie, the show, um, because, you know, my views on him. I mean, the MVP is actually Baby Yoda. I mean, there is actually no argument here. If the world hadn't fallen in love with Baby Yoda, none of the rest would really make sense. So it is full credit to the design team and the puppeteers and everybody else who made Baby Yoda come to life. Boba Fett can always show up in season two. Ugh. No, he can't. He's <laughs> dead. I thought, I thought that was him initially uh, in the flashback to the, the murder of Din Charon's mm. parents, actually. You know, because I've, I've, I've never realized before. I've never clocked it. I've seen the Mandalorian thousands of times now, but I never clocked that he had the little, he doesn't have the little antenna thing in his head. You know, so yeah. he's, he's, you know, I guess accruing different bits of his Mandalorian armor as he goes along. Again, very video gaming. Uh, Benjamin, I, I know who you're yeah, I was going to say, you don't, you don't have to ask who the MVP is. He's so <laughs> cute, though. And uh, like, I love the fact that it's not just that there is this very cute element to the show, it's that that his cuteness is like written into the text of the show that is the point that everybody who sees this thing falls in love with it and will do very very difficult things to try and and, and keep it safe um you're and talking it, about pedro pascal right he's just so cute just, did you see how sweaty and hot he was under that mask while he was dying <laughs> oh so sweet he was very hot um so i i love that and i i just i love um like the mix in star wars of of cuteness and sort of big grimy actually as no physical tangible worlds mm. and it, it's always had i mean as someone who has always grown up with the original trilogy being there the ewoks have always been part of the star wars universe for me i'm i'm all in for star wars cuteness so baby yoda was yeah undoubtedly my, my mvp though I, d- I did love verna i know we've talked about verna a lot i also love the fact that now because of um, the mandalorian you can get a verna herzog funko pop <laughs> which, can, which, can you yeah they just announced it last week you can get a client funko pop so yes for all you uh criterion collectors out there uh, Werner Herzog Funko Pop most collectible one I really enjoyed the season uh, as a whole like Helen said it it did that great thing of of feeling familiar feeling Star Wars but also feeling new and exciting and uh, all of the like sort of non-Skywalker films we've had so far so Rogue One and Solo have sort of very neatly fit into 
the sort of established timeline or meddled with characters who we already know or situations that we're already aware of. And I know that this sort of ties in a bit to um, events in Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff, but it feels like we are in uncharted territory. This is how you do a Star Wars story that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily connect with the main storyline. <laughs> but that still feels Star Wars at its heart and it, it apart from that episode where they went to um, to Tatooine it didn't rely too much on going back to the familiar things that we yeah. know so I thought it did a great job especially like you look at so many sci-fi series so many sci-fi and fantasy series the first season is normally like crazy peaks and troughs as they're working out what works what doesn't work what feels like the show and they don't know until they've made it and tested that out this felt like a really confident first season i know we feel there was maybe a bit of a dip in the middle but it wasn't a huge Mm. sort of there there were no stinkers here there were no like bad episodes or there were none where you went they tried this tone and it just really didn't work and you can tell they're not going to do that for season two like there were bits of, of sort of ups and downs but um yeah just a really like smart confident really entertaining first series i thought it was absolutely great i can't wait for season two yeah that's uh, pretty much where i am as well i've said repeatedly on the show that you know as i've been going along that for me it's the best iteration of star wars since disney acquired lucasfilm uh, a few years ago and despite a few bumps along the way episode four wasn't great episode five was better second time around, but still wasn't fantastic. Um, I think, by and large, I'm, I'm going to stand by that. I think it's tremendous. And one thing I forgot to mention with this episode, for me, reminded me that there may be better individual vehicles slash starships in the Star Wars universe. You know, we all want to pilot the Millennium Falcon, don't we? But for me, the single greatest vehicle in Star Wars is the speeder bike. I cannot imagine anything more exhilarating than to be riding a speeder bike. It might be a bit uncomfortable after a while. You'd need a pretty good uh, cushion there or a saddle. But, you know, I can see why Baby Yoda would have that look on his face as he's rushing through the town at 100 miles an hour or whatever it is. Those things are cool. They're very unsafe. They're so unsafe. (laughs) But that's that's why you're entirely armored when you're riding them. It doesn't seem to do much good. People still, like, go straight into trees and explode. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I'd stick with an X-Wing. Good point. Good point. Well, the X-Wing. Yeah. Oh, um, come on. Sp- Speeder bikes. Speeder bikes. Speeder bikes. Yeah. But uh, for me, the MVP, yes, we, we can talk Baby Yoda from now until the Banthas come home. But uh, you can't talk about MVP without mentioning John Favreau, I think, you know, who, mm-hmm. and Dave Filoni, who's, you know, creative fingerprints are all over the show. And I think it's great that, you know, Favs wrote six of the eight episodes and has that real authorial voice uh, over everything. Uh, but for me, I'm going to give a shout out to Ludwig Granson, whose music was mm-hmm. incredible and his Mandalorian theme tune, I spent a couple of, a few happy minutes the other day going down a, a rabbit hole on YouTube watching different versions. Uh, Jamie Graham from Total Film had linked to a wonderful synth, 80s style synth version, which then led me on to a cellos only version, which then led me on to a classical guitars version and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's so wonderful and it's so kind of, you know, it's so very Ludwig Granson, but also it, it nods, as I've said in the past, to 
Bill Conti a little bit as well. There's a little bit of creed in mm. there, but it, it, it's a very respectful nod to John Williams without being a pastiche or a ripoff of John Williams, which is so easy. Yeah, it's an easy trap to fall into. I feel like there's a little bit of Morricone in there as well. Like it, it oh, just yeah. feels like it's taken in those Western influences too, which are great. Yeah. There was a moment in this episode as well where the music really stood out, which is um, when Moff Gideon's in his Tie Fighter thing, sort of sweeping down on them, um, and the music sort of changed up, and it was very, very like bassy there were like sort of trap beats in there it felt a lot like his Black Panther um, Mm. soundtrack in that sense and it had a real dramatic heft to it it sounded completely unlike any other music in Star Wars and yet it didn't jar with the Star Wars feel it's it's like really smart how there are moments in that music that sound nothing like classic Star Wars themes and yet it really fits that universe in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have predicted yeah Mm. super good super super good <laughs> Should we do it again? <laughs> Every week. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. Anyway, um, it's awesome. It is pretty damned awesome. And on that note, that is it for our Mandalorian Season 1 spoiler specials. We hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as we have enjoyed making them. But that is it. For the last time, we have spoken. All that remains to me now is to say goodbye to Ben Travis. Goodbye. Hope you all have dreams of Baby Yoda until October, when he will be back <laughs> with us. Oh, hooray! Yeah, <laughs> we hope. We hope he will. Um, he will. Sure I've seen it in Robert Rodriguez's photo. He had. He got to direct Baby Yoda. I like that. Yeah, he, uh, he said I had the honor yeah. of directing Baby Yoda, and that is an honor. So. Yeah, I hope his head hasn't swollen after season one success and that he's demanding all sorts of mm. <laughs> things on his rider. His rider. He orders 12 frogs Extra per frogs. episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want some blue frogs. No, I can't get the blue ones. What are you talking about? Then you're fired. Uh, and hopefully we'll find out his name and hear him speak in the next season as well. That'll be, that'll be lovely. Look, it? He, uh, it, he has a name and it's Baby Yoda. And even if they give him a, um, an actual one, we're still going to call oh, him Baby matter. Yoda. Like, we now know Mando's name, but we, no one's going to call him Din Charon. No, uh, it's Mando. That's, Mando. that's just the way it is. This is the way. Exactly. Uh, and it is also goodbye, of course, from Dark Sabretooth, a.k.a. Helen O'Hara. This is the way. This is the way. And of course, it's goodbye from John Wicket himself, James Dyer. This is the way. This is the way. Uh, and it is goodbye from me. I am off to ride a speeder bike through the streets of Navarro with a goofy grin on my face and my ears flapping in the wind. This is the way. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.